last few weeks, you know that we have been exploring this idea, running with the giants. And the idea comes from a passage from a letter that was written uh, to the early Christians in the first century. Uh, and the letter was, uh, it's called Hebrews in the Bible. And here's what the, the letter says. There's a portion of the letter that we're using um, for, our, for, for this whole series. This, this, the letter says this. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, and this is written to Christians, people who are followers of Jesus, let, a, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews is saying there's a great cloud of witnesses and they've run their race. The giants of the faith, they've run their race. Abraham and Moses and the prophets and Deborah and Sarah, they've run their race and they're this great cloud of witnesses. He said, so let us run our race. It's our turn now to take the baton. Uh, In 2001, there was a writer named John Maxwell. And John Maxwell was asked to speak at the chapel service for the NBA All-Star uh, game. And John Maxwell went before all these NBA players, and he preached this sermon, and, and this was his anchor verse, this scripture right here. And he said, you know, you guys know what it's like to be out on the basketball court and to be surrounded by a cheering crowd. You know what it's like to have uh, a roaring crowd cheering you on, encouraging you, telling you, come on, you can do it, right? He said, what if that crowd was a group of NBA all-stars who had all been in your shoes before? What if they had already done what you're doing now? And they could come one by one out of the, out of the crowd and they could say, hey, let me, let me give you some input. Let me give you some insight. Let me give you some advice. Let me help you along the path. Let me help you to compete at your highest level. And then he said, that's what the scripture is telling us about our life. The scripture is saying that the great cloud of witnesses, these heroes of the faith, they've run their race. And now they're looking on at us. What if they could come down from the clouds and say, hey, you know, let me give you some input. Let me give you some advice. Let me give you some, some wisdom. Let me give you some encouragement. And, and at the end of his sermon, uh, the vice president of the Orlando Magic came to him and said, you know, man, that's a great idea, that, that concept. You should write a book about that. And John Maxwell actually wrote a little devotional, and it's called Running with the Giants. And the premise of that devotional is, this, is, the, is the premise of this series. And the premise is this. What if one of the giants of the faith could come to us today here in U-City and stand right here in our midst and say, hey, I've been there. I've seen what you've seen. I've struggled with what you've struggled with. I've been there. I've seen it all. I've been tempted in the way that you've been tempted. I've been discouraged. I've been disheartened in the way you've been disheartened. I've seen things that you've seen. I've I've been there. And here's what I want to give you to help you run your race with endurance. That's the premise of the series. That's the premise uh, that that we're working with uh, today. And, and you're in for a treat because today we are exploring the life of a person whose life is not an exem- example of moral integrity. He, you know, what's fascinating about the character that we're going to explore today, he wasn't an upstanding guy. He wasn't a great guy. He wasn't a highly moral guy. He wasn't a highly ethical guy. In fact, what's fascinating about him is that God was able to use him despite all of his flaws and all of his character defects. His name is Jacob. How many of you guys are familiar with the character Jacob in the scripture? His name was Jacob. And what's really interesting about Jacob is that Jacob, Jacob's parents 
were told by God before Jacob was born that Jacob was going to be the father of a nation, that he was going to be blessed, that he was going to prosper, that he was going to be a mighty man of God. He had all of this plan, and God had all this plan and purpose for Jacob's life before he was even born. But Jacob was so insecure and incapable of accepting God's love. He was so unable to believe that God loved him that much that he spent his life obsessed with trying to get ahead, striving on his own, clawing, fighting, cheating, backbiting, deceiving, to try to make his life count, to try to do something great with his life because he couldn't believe that God loved him enough to walk him through life and to back him and support him and to take him where God wanted him to be. And so if Jacob were here today, because Jacob had an encounter, Jacob had an encounter with God after he had been fighting and clawing and trying to get ahead. He had an encounter with God that transformed his life and and taught him a, a, a piece of wisdom, an important principle that I think Jacob, if he were here today, would share with us. And here it is. Stop trying to make it on your own. So many of us here today, and, and, and this may be your life, and this is certainly my life at times, we are striving to achieve, we're striving to get ahead, we're striving to make it, we're striving to get, make our life count. We want desperately to do something of value and purpose and meaning, and we can get so caught up in the grind of trying to do that that we actually miss out completely on what God has for us. And God is saying through Jacob, he's saying, stop trying to make it on your own. I've got a plan and a purpose for you. If you will rely upon me and surrender your life to me, I will take you where you need to go. Stop trying to make it on your own. We were, our family was on vacation this last week. And um, one, one thing about my, my, my kids, my, my boys especially, they love the pool. They love the water. They love to try to get out into the water and, and, and go swimming. The problem is none of them, none of them can actually swim. Um, they, they have uh, they, their, their energy, their desire outweighs their ability, you know, their, their talent. Um, and, in fact, a few, like maybe a few months ago, my middle son, Lincoln, came to me. We were at the YMCA. I was in the pool at about the four-foot mark. Lincoln was on the edge of the pool standing there, and Lincoln said, hey, Dad, watch this. He said, I don't sink. And I thought, okay, that's weird because I'm pretty sure you do. But, um, but then I, I thought, well, maybe, maybe they've taught him something in the class that he knows not how not to sink or whatever. So I was literally standing in the pool, and he was standing at the edge. And he goes, watch this, plugs his nose, jumps in, and, of course, immediately sinks straight to the bottom. And I'm standing there, like, looking at him. He's, like, right here. And I'm thinking, is he going to bounce back up here? I mean, is he, when does the technique kick in? Like, what, where's the not sinking part? And it wasn't happening. He just was staying down there. So finally, I just grabbed his arm, and I pulled him up. And he, like, wipes his eyes. He goes, oh, I guess I, guess I do sink. I'm like, yeah, you do. So, so we, we, we spent a significant part of this vacation trying to teach our boys how to not sink in the pool. Um, and I, it's hard to teach somebody to swim. If you know how to swim, it's like, you know how to do it, but how do you get them to do it? So, so I'm over there with the boys, and, and I'm, I'm trying to teach them how to swim. And, you know, they're, they're kind of getting it. They're kind of like going in the water, and they're getting a couple strokes. And then they're coming up and doing the dog paddle and trying to catch a breath and kicking and then trying to get their body back horizontal to move forward again. 
I mean, it, it's really, it's really pitiful looking at them doing this. And, and they're struggling, and they're spluttering, and they're splashing, and they're kicking. And, and it's exhausting. You could tell. These guys are getting completely worn out. And I don't know how to instruct them to make it easier. And then we noticed that at the other end of the pool, there was another family. And they had kids that were just a little bit older than our boys. And the mother from that family comes over to our family and says, Hey, would you guys mind if I show you a little something? And we were like, sure, go for it. And she took Lincoln, she took my, my six-year-old, and she flipped him over onto his back. And she said, okay, now just relax your muscles. Okay, now take some really deep breaths and let the water do the work. Relax your muscles, take some deep breaths, and let the water do the work. And she just, she said that about two, three, four times. And pretty soon, Lincoln just sort of relaxed. His belly filled up with air, and he just started floating on the surface of the water. He went from spluttering, fighting, kicking, striving, keeping his head just above water, to flipping on his back and letting the water do the work. And this lady told us, this, this, this mother told us, she said that when her boys were young, that she taught them that when they're getting exhausted in the pool and when they're trying to make it through the pool, just flip over onto your back, relax your muscles, take some deep breaths, and let the water do the work. Some of us in our life are keeping our head barely above water. We're striving, we're grasping, we're pushing, we're fighting, and it might be for good things. It's not that we're striving for bad things, but we're exhausted and we're beat up and we're worn out and we're tired because we are trying to make it on our own. And today God is saying to us through Jacob, stop trying to make it on your own. Let God do the work. God said, if you will wait upon the Lord, he shall renew your strength. You shall mount up with wings as eagles. You shall run and not be weary. You shall walk and not faint. Let the Lord, God said, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes in our life we have to stop thrashing around, stop fighting, stop clawing, stop trying to make it, and let God do the work in our life. He will take us much further than we could have imagined on our own if we'll just let God do the work. Jacob was so intent on trying to make it on his own that he spent almost the entirety of his life until he had this encounter with God doing everything within his power to try to make it on his own. Jesus said this. Jesus used a different analogy. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And he said, I will give you rest. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is saying there, remember, Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus had probably made yokes in his day. A yoke is like a crossbeam that you put across the back of two oxen, and those two oxen then plow the field together. He said, some of you guys have a, a yoke upon you, and there's nobody in the other part of the yoke. And so you're pulling through life all by yourself. He said, take my yoke, because I'm strong, and I'll pull. I'll pull. Rely upon me. I'll show you how to rest. I'll show you how to walk through life. I'll get you where you need to go. It doesn't mean it's effortless, but, but take my yoke upon you. Jacob was so intent on doing this on his own that he developed 
what I'm going to call, and I'm going to run through these with you this morning, seven strategies. These are Jacob's seven strategies for success. And I say, hint, you can go to that next slide, Don. Seven strategies for success. Hint, don't try the first six. These are Jacob's seven strategies to try to make it on his own. And, and here's what he did. The very first thing that Jacob did in order to try to make it on his own, to, to, to try to succeed in life, is he grasped. If you have your uh, note, notes with you today, you can pull them out and follow along with this. In the very beginning of Jacob's story, we learned that he was a twin. He and his brother Esau were in his mother's womb, and the Scripture describes them fighting inside of the womb. And when they were born, Esau was born first, the firstborn Esau was born, and Jacob was born literally grabbing onto the heel of Jacob. He was grabbing onto his heel. In fact, the word Jacob, the name Jacob, means heel grabber. And the implication is somebody who's trying to get ahead, somebody who's trying to trip you up and trying to get past you and trying to move you out of the way so that they can get ahead. Deceiver, swindler, cheat, crook. That's, that's, the, that's what Jacob meant in, 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 in Hebrew. And Jacob was always trying to grab and grasp and get ahead from the very beginning of his life. Some of us, again, today are doing that in our own life. We're grasping at things that we think will bring fulfillment or joy or purpose in our life. And we keep striving for that. And we keep grasping for that. And yet we keep coming up empty-handed. Earlier this week, I walked into my, my, little, my little guy's room, two-year-old, Augustine. And I, came, I, I sort of walked to the side of his room. I could see in his, in his room, and he was sitting on the floor. And in his room, there was sunlight coming in through the window. So there's this sunbeam that was shining uh, in the window. And he didn't know I was looking at him. And I was looking at him, and he was sitting on the floor... And he was literally trying to grab the sunbeam. He kept trying to grasp and get a hold of this sunbeam. And he was grabbing at it. Of course, you can't, you can't grab a sunbeam. It just goes right through your hands. That's what we are doing sometimes in our life. We're just grasping at things that we think will fulfill us and bring us hope and bring us purpose and bring us success. And every time we look at our hand, it's empty. And we keep going, why am I keep grabbing at stuff and, it's, and I'm empty? And how come I keep striving for something and I'm not getting to where I thought I would get? I'm not being fulfilled in the way that I thought I would be fulfilled. So Jacob was always grasping. The second strategy that Jacob tried was he manipulated. The scripture says that one day his brother came in from out of the field. His brother Esau was a hunter. And Esau was, uh, uh, you know, a guy that he was sort of like a man's man. And his dad really liked Esau. And he was a guy who would go out in the, in, the, in the woods and he would hunt for days. And he came in after one of these very long hunts. And he was trying to, uh, uh, you know, he came home and he, it was an unsuccessful hunt. He didn't have any food. And he came and he was starving. And he came to his brother Jacob and he said, Jacob, Jacob was in the tent making stew. And, and he said to his brother Jacob, could you just please give me some of that stew? I'm, I'm just starving right now. And Jacob says, yeah, I'll give you some stew in exchange for your birthright. And the birthright was the right of the firstborn, the right of the firstborn to receive the bulk of the inheritance, to uh, lead the clan after, uh, lead the family after the father died, after the patriarch died. It, it had a lot of value. And Jacob takes his brother in his moment of greatest weakness and says, I will give you a bowl of stew if you will give me your birthright. And Esau is so hungry and, and, and starving, he thinks he's going to die. Esau says, what good is my birthright if I die? And Jacob says, swear to me. I want you to swear to me that you'll give me your birthright. Esau says, fine. 
So he's manipulating from the very beginning. Esau gives Jacob his birthright. He's manipulating. He's trying to get ahead. Remember, this is a guy that God had said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And yet Jacob couldn't accept that God had this plan for him. Jacob is striving and grasping and manipulating. The next thing that Jacob did, he just kept getting worse, is that he deceived The scripture says that his father, Isaac, was going blind. His father was getting older, going blind. And towards the end of his life, his father was going to invoke a formal blessing upon Esau. And this had the power, the irrevocable power of the last will and testament. When the father says, I'm going to give you my blessing, that's it. And so Jacob said, I don't want that blessing to go to Esau. I want that blessing for myself. And so Jacob went and put on Esau's clothes and put wool on his arms to emulate the, the hairy arms of his brother Esau. And he, he made some, uh, some stew that was supposed to smell like venison, tried to make it you know, smell like wild game. And he disguised his voice and he came into his blind, dying father. And he says, Father, it's your son Esau. And I'm here to get the blessing. I'm here for you to pass on the irrevocable last will and testament um, of all of your wealth and everything to me. I'm here for that. And his, his father says, well, you, you know, it, 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 are you sure this is Esau? <laughs> and Jacob says, yeah, this is Esau. Dad, feel my arms. Listen to my voice. Smell my garment. And, and his father says, okay, this is Esau. And he gives him the final blessing, the irrevocable blessing. He manipulates and deceives and gets his, gets his brother's blessing by deceiving his father. And, of course, this t- makes Esau furious, and Esau wants to kill his brother. So Jacob says, all right, I've got to get out of here. Jacob takes off and runs away to uh, his, his uncle Laban, who lived about 500 miles away, and on his way there, he tries another strategy. He tries to bribe God. So he's deceived, he's manipulated, he's lying, he's cunning. Now he's going to try to bribe God. I'm not going to put the scripture up there, but listen to the prayer that Jacob prayed. Jacob prayed this. He said, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. God, if you do all this stuff for me, then I will worship you. That's a foxhole prayer. Have anybody ever prayed a foxhole prayer? It's like, God, if you will get me out of this mess right now, I promise you, I will serve you. Those don't work. Because you get out of the mess and then you forget, right? It's not an, it's not a, God is not a negotiator with our soul. He says, look, I, am, I created you. I hung the stars in the sky. I made the sun and the moon, and I made the universe. And, and so this isn't a negotiation where you ask for something from me, and then, and then you come around, and, and then I give something to you. No, you come to God and say, God, I'm yours. I am yours. Take me, Lord, as I am. Fill me up, God. Fill me up. Let me be yours. And, and so he's trying to deceive his brother, trying to deceive his father, and now he's trying to bribe God. Number five. Scripture says that Jacob scammed, he scammed his uncle. Uh, Jacob went and and got a job with his uncle, worked for many, many years, and there's a great, great, many, many stories we could preach from. Uh, But he went and and worked for his uncle for many years, and what he did was he, he mated the strong animals and put them in his herd, and he mated the weak animals and put them in his brother's herd. 
So he's trying to, or in his, uh, sorry, in his uncle's hurt. So he's trying to scam even his uncle. And of course, his uncle gets angry. His uncle gets upset. And now Jacob does what we all do when we've burnt our bridges, when we've screwed up our life, when we've messed up, when we've destroyed relationships. Number six, Jacob's strategy, he fled. He packed up his stuff packed up his wives and his servants and his livestock and his camel and his sheep and all that stuff. And he said, I'm out of here. We are out of here. And he took off running from his uncle. But here's the problem with running from your past. Your past always catches up to you. The problem is that wherever you go, there you are. Your stuff comes with you. Your pain comes with you. Your insecurities come with you. Your guilt comes with you. Your shame comes with you. One of the reasons I think that we run around like chickens with our head cut off is that we, is that we can avoid that, right? We can sort of like not think about all the stuff that bubbles up in the dark night of the soul when we're all alone struggling by ourselves. If we just stay busy enough, we won't worry about that. If I just work hard enough, I don't have to think about that pain. I don't have to think about that loss. I don't have to think about that action. I don't have to think about that thing I said or that I did. I don't have to think about that thing that was said or done to me. I can just keep going. I can just keep pushing forward. And, and Jacob reached this moment in his life where he had reached the end of his rope. In fact, he got a piece of news that terrified him. And the piece of news was this. One of his servants came to him and said, Jacob, your brother Esau, remember the one that you cheated and deceived and stole his birthright? Remember him from about, you know, 14, 15 years ago? Yeah, he is um, on his way towards you with 400 men. He's coming to find you. He's a little upset. And you stole everything that he had, and now you're going to have to face him. So Jacob, the scripture says, sent everybody across the creek. He stayed on one side of this river, and he sent his family and his servants and his livestock over there. And for the very first time in his life, Jacob had a moment where he got real, where he was stripped down to the core of who he was. And he realized in that moment that everything that he had, everything that he fought for, everything that he pushed for, everything that he deceived for, everything that he lied for, everything that he hoped for, everything that he strived for was about to be gone like that. His money, his status, his wealth, his family, his children, and maybe even his own life was about to be gone. And for the very first time in his life, Jacob got real with himself and with God and finally employed the one strategy that he should have tried so many years ago. He just cried out to God. He cried out to God with an open heart and said, God, I need you. I cannot make it on my own. I have reached the end of my rope and I cannot Make it on my own. I have been grasping at sunbeams and I am empty handed alone on the side of the creek with my family on the other side. And I'm about to lose everything that I thought was important to me. I cannot make it on my own. Listen to the prayer. Listen to how his voice changes. He never prayed like this. You read the whole 
uh, chapters of Genesis that describe Jacob's life. You never see this. This is the first time he says, oh, God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Save me, he said. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid. Very first time in his life, Jacob said, I need you. His life had reached a point where it wasn't turning out like he planned. While we were down in, in Tennessee, we're driving down these old country roads. And I turned to my wife and I said, you know what I see around here? I see plans that didn't work out the way people thought they would. There were old concrete trucks. I mean, looking across, there was this field, and there were these old concrete trucks just sitting in a line, rusted out. They had been sitting there for who knows how long. And I said, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the, the vision that the person had for that business when they started that business. And there were boarded up buildings along the side of the road. And I go, that's not the dream that they had for their life. And there were these old signs, you know, like they had once been brightly lit neon signs and they were just, uh, all the glass was smashed out of them and it was just sort of a rusty frame, metal frame. And I go, that's not, that's not what they dreamed their, li- their life would be like. That's not what they meant when they, when they planned that business, when they started that business. Some of us in our, in our life right now, we're in, there are parts of our life where we go, this isn't the way I thought it was going to go. This isn't the way I planned. I've been fighting. I've been striving. I've been pursuing. I've been pushing. I've been wanting. I've been fighting. And here I am. And this is not the way that I thought it was going to go. And God is saying to us, I want to tell you today, hear the voice of God through Jacob whispering in your ear, stop trying to make it on your own. Open your heart to God. Surrender to him, because here's what the scripture guarantees us, that when we open our hearts to God, when we surrender our lives to him, number one is he renews our identity. He renews our identity. The scripture says that Jacob wrestled with God at the side of that creek, nobody else around. And in that fight, in that wrestling match between God and Jacob, God said, here's what I'm going to do for you, Jacob. I'm going to change your name. Your name has been swindler, thief, crook, liar, heel grabber all your life. I'm going to change your name to Israel. I'm going to give you a new name, triumphant with God. He who prevails with God, prince of God. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new identity. And the truth is, it's not even a new identity. It's the identity that I had for you from before you were born. I'm just giving it to you now because you're finally surrendering to it. Today, some of you are struggling with your past, struggling with stuff from your background, things that you did, things that were done to you, and God is saying, surrender that to me. Let me have that, and I will make you a new creature. I will make you new in me. I will wash you new and give you a new identity. And in fact, it's not a new identity. It's the identity that I planned and prepared for you from the beginning of time. Long before you were born, surrender to me. The second thing that God guarantees us when we submit our life to him is that he restores relationships. In one of the most touching moments of the Bible, we read about the reunion of Jacob and Esau, and it is a heartbreaking, heartbreakingly beautiful reunion. 
Because the scripture says it like this. It says, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. You can put that scripture up, Michelle. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. These two brothers who had been bitter enemies because of Jacob's deceit and lies and cheating and stealing, Esau opened his arms to him and these two brothers' relationship were restored. And it wasn't because of anything Jacob did. Jacob, Jacob, it, Jacob kind of reverted for a moment to his old ways. He sent out all of his camels and all of his sheep. And he's like, hey, you can have all this stuff. You can have it. You can, whatever you want, take it. You can have it. Esau said, no, 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 I don't need any of that. I'm fine. I just want to have a restored relationship with you. When we surrender our hearts to God, when he becomes primary in our life, when he soaks in every aspect of our life, it transforms the way we relate to other people. That parent that child, that friend, that brother, that sister, that boyfriend, that girlfriend who you're struggling with, where there's conflict, can you surrender that relationship to God? Because you're not going to change that person. You don't have control over that person. You have no control over what they say or do. But you can give your heart to God. You can submit your life to God and let him refresh you and renew you and restore that relationship. And then the final thing, that God promises to those that surrender their lives to him is that he reveals himself to you. He reveals himself to you. In the end, you guys, here's something. Just, just, just soak in this for a minute. There's nothing but God in the end. Your family belongs to him. Your wealth belongs to him. Your time belongs to him. Your breath belongs to him. Your life belongs to him. It's all him. And so the primary thing, the only thing worth truly pursuing with all your heart is him. Because the scripture even says this, if you will pursue him, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else that you need will be added to you. Don't be out striving and grasping and and trying to get everything you can. Open your heart to God. Pursue him. And all of these things will be added to you. In fact, Jacob, when he did this, loved this scripture. And this is the last scripture. Barry, you can come on up and and play if, uh, if you would. He says this in Genesis 32. He says, I have seen God face to face. And I've been delivered. Some of us today need a face-to-face encounter with God. We need a face-to-face. We need a come-to-Jesus meeting with God. We need to strip everything out of the way, all the stuff that's going on in life, all the stuff that's going around uh, on the news and in the world around us, and we need to just say, hold on, people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pause my, my Facebook feed for a second. I'm going to just... I'm going to pause my Pokemon Go for just a second. Just a second. Let me just pause it. And I need just to to stop. And I need to open my heart to God and experience what he has for me and let him direct my life and stop trying to direct it myself and stop trying to push and manipulate and deceive and, and, and do things my own way. I need to just open my life to him and say, God, just you lead me. No ifs, no bargains. No, no, you know, if you do this, then I'll do that. Just God, just take my life and just lead me. Show me where you want me to go. Jesus, when he was 
uh, visiting some of his friends, Mary and Martha. There's a beautiful story where Martha was just busily getting everything ready to meet Jesus, running around the house, cooking up some food, cleaning everything, you know, throwing stuff under the couch so Jesus wouldn't see uh, the dirty socks and just trying to get everything situated. Mary, the scripture says, was just sitting down at Jesus' feet and just listening to him and just spending time with him. And Martha's, Martha's mad. Martha goes to Jesus says, Jesus, look, look, I'm running around doing all this stuff, trying to get everything ready, trying to make everything right, and Mary's just sitting here at your feet. So could you please tell her to get off her caboose and come and help me do some stuff? And Jesus said, hey, you know, Martha, you're worried about a lot of stuff. But really, there's only just a few things to worry about. And then he said, wait a minute. There's really only one thing to worry about. And that's what Mary's doing right here, right now. Mary is spending time with me. And out of that, everything else will work itself out. Let God do the work in your life. Stop trying to achieve your worth. Stop trying to prove your value. Stop trying to prove that you're okay. Stop trying to prove that you're a good person. Stop trying to make everybody believe that you're just all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> Let God do the work in your life. Relax. Breathe him in and say, God, you're the one. And I want you in my life right now. I want to open my life to you. And I want to let you lead me. And I want to let you transform me. And I want to let you renew my identity. And I want to let you restore my relationships. And I want to let you reveal yourself to me. My grace is sufficient for you. God is speaking to many of you today and saying, let God do the work in your life. If you've been religious, if you've been a, a, a workaholic, if you've been addicted, if you've been full of pride, if you've been trying to prove your worth to everybody, whatever it is, that, that, that idol, whatever it is that distracts you from opening your heart to God, submit that to Him. Put that on the altar today and let God have a face-to-face with you. They say, how do I do that? Really, it's, it's a matter of just wherever you are, just we say this all the time at our church, just taking that next step, whatever that is. Maybe for you that's saying, that's just simply in your heart saying, I believe. Or maybe it's just saying, forgive me. Or maybe it's saying, I'm going to take the next step and get baptized and be, a, and, and be a, a public follower of Jesus. Or maybe that next step is for you getting involved in some aspect of church, this church, or if this isn't your church, some other church. Getting involved on uh, the dream team or in a life group or some, some, some aspect of the church where you're just saying, God, I want to step into this. I want to step into a deeper relationship with you. Maybe it's none of that. Maybe it's, maybe it's stopping serving so much and saying, God, I just, want to, I just want to sit like Mary, and I just, want to, I just want to worship you. I just want to hear your voice. I just want to hear your voice in my soul, in my heart today. Whatever that is, I want to invite you to take that step and let God take control of your life. Stop grasping at sunbeams and let God do the work in your heart today.
Let's all pray together. Father, we come before you today just grateful for your word, grateful for the powerful truths that you have for us, grateful for your spirit, grateful for your word. And God, we have in this church, in this congregation, just so many people who are, who are striving to do good and wanting to do good and fighting to do good. And yet sometimes, God, it's hard for us to just stop and breathe and relax and let you do the work inside of us. To acknowledge that your grace is sufficient. To acknowledge that it's sometimes just good to rest in you. To be still and know that you are God. To open our hearts and realize that everything that we think is important is actually transient and temporary. And the only thing that lasts is you. And so we open our lives to you today, God. And we say, come in. Come in and take over our hearts, take over our minds, fill us up. We need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. And the sooner we admit that, the better off we are. Let us, God, not spend the better part of our lives like Jacob, striving and fighting and clawing and grasping and trying to move ahead on his own. But, God, let us be like the Jacob who encountered you at the side of the creek and said, God, I need you. I need you, Lord. Save me. I want to have a face-to-face encounter with you. Father, I pray for every single person in this congregation that you would touch them at the very core of their heart today, that all the surface stuff would just disappear for a moment, and you would reach into the very depth of their soul and touch them, Lord God, in the very core of their being and remind them that you are God and that you love them and that you have a plan for their life, and that you want to see them flourish and be blessed by you through your spirit, that you want to do the work in them. Your yoke is easy, and your burden is light. Father, we praise you for this. We give you all the honor, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to take a